There's a writer who uh, at once was an atheist, agnostic, later became a skeptic and became a Christian. His name is C.S. Lewis. He's, he's very famous. He wrote a, a book called Mere Christianity about sort of people who want to explore the Christian faith. In the middle of the book, he, he has this question. He says, Jesus is either a liar or he's a lunatic or he's Lord. Now, Jesus is actually someone who's, who is a great liar who just is saying some things, but it really doesn't mean anything. Or he's this madman, he says. He's this lunatic. He's this deranged person who's, who's claiming that he's God and doing all these things. Or he's actually who he says he is. He's actually Lord. Now, when, when, when Lewis wrote these words, sort of in the 60s or so, actually before that, I believe the question is still the same. I, I believe that, uh, uh, that that's how we need to look at Jesus. Is he someone who is lying to us? Is he someone who is just crazy? Or is he someone who actually is Lord, is the Son of God? Now, now we see here in our passage today that uh, those who... who, who who were Jewish, who, who claimed their heritage from Abraham. We, we, we know that from, um, from the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 12, that as God was going to start a whole new movement, things didn't go as, as he wanted already, so he's going to start a whole new movement. So he chose a man, and he chose a people, and he, and, he, and he made a covenant, made a promise with this man named Abraham. And he says, through Abraham, I'm going to bless the nations. And what's funny was, was that Abraham was old. He was an old man, and his wife was well beyond childbearing years. She was well into her 90s. And what we see here, as God begins this relationship with Abraham, that uh, God makes his promise with Abraham and begins to be sort of what we call the chosen generation, the chosen people. And so early on, God was referenced as the God of Abraham and then his son, the God of Isaac, and, and the God of Jacob. And so we have folks who are part of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they are face-to-face with Jesus. They're in the church. They're in the temple. It's at the end of this huge religious festival, and they begin to have questions about Jesus, saying, you know what? You're just a liar. You, you are just lying to us. There is no way that you could be of God. There, there, there's no way that you can actually be before Abraham. Others say, hey, you know what? You are a fool. You're a demon-possessed man. What you're saying is actually crazy because Jesus says, hey, listen, if you truly are a descendant of Abraham, then you would know me, that, that you would know who I am, that you would know my true identity. But the way that you're acting, you're the ones who are crazy. And then Jesus here, in the last verse, in verse 58, is probably one of the most clear declarations of who he is. Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. Now, there are many religions, and there are many paths, there are many understandings and and spiritual pathways, 
Many people in our, in our world uh, acknowledge Jesus. Some acknowledge him as, as a teacher, as a great teacher, a great philosopher, a great moralist, right? That, and we should forgive our brothers and sisters, that we should love one, one another. Some have taken this verse and they have reworked it. The Jehovah Witnesses have taken this verse, verse 58, and they have actually changed it because they don't, they didn't, they don't believe that God could actually become a human. Neither could our, our Muslim brothers and sisters who claim fatherhood from Abraham. Neither do our Jewish friends either claim that as well, that actually Jesus was God who, who became man. And so our Jehovah Witness friends, when they have this verse in their scriptures, they say, before Abraham was, they say, Jesus said, I have been, not I am. Jesus is very clear about those words, I am. In the Greek, the, the words are ego me. Jesus uses this phrase, I am, seven times, a little bit more, maybe eight times, in the Gospel of John. I am the light of the world, he says. I am the bread of life. And Jesus knows the power of those words, I am. The power of those words, or I am, they come from Exodus chapter 3, where there's this man named Moses, and he was in the wilderness, and then one day he sees this bush, and the bush is on fire. The bush is not being burnt up, it's just on fire. And so he goes over to that bush, and there is the Lord. He says, hey, take off your sandals. This is holy ground. And, and the uh, Lord reveals to, to Moses, hey, listen, I got a plan for your life. Moses, again, was about 80 years old. He says, listen, I want you to go to Pharaoh. I've, I've heard the cries of my people who have been enslaved, and I'm calling you to go and to set them free. Well, Moses is like, whoa, that's not what I had for my life. No, that's God's plan that Moses had for his life. And as Moses and the Lord are having this conversation, finally Moses says, well, I need a name. I mean, if I'm going to go to Pharaoh, I like need to know your name. That's a bold question, right? Give me your name. I need a name. It's actually uh, several times throughout scriptures, people say, I need to know your name. Who are you? And at that moment, the Lord reveals his name. I am who I say I am. It's actually four Hebrew letters that come up with the name Yahweh. That was a name that no Jewish person ever spoke. It was the holiest of holy names. I am who I am. And if anyone would ever speak that name out or even was crazy enough to claim that that's who they were, then the punishment and the law was to stone them was to put them to death. Jesus knows exactly what he is doing. He knows exactly what he is saying. And what he's saying here is that before Abraham was, I am. You know what? I was with Moses in the bush. I was there. I I am. I, I was actually with Abraham when God met him 
and made the promise. Actually, I was with Noah as he was building the ark. Actually, I was before all of creation and everything came into being through me. I am. I am. And we see this affirmed throughout the scriptures. When, when the apostle Paul was writing to the church in Colossae, he says that Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. And, and, and the Greek word there is fingerprint. And that when we see Jesus, we actually see the exact representation of God. I've said this before. Philip Yancey says, you know, there are a lot of things I don't know about God. There are a lot of questions I have about God. But I sure hope he's like Jesus because I love Jesus. The writer and preacher in the book of Hebrews starts off his his sermons by saying, you know what? God has spoken spoken to us through a number of prophets, but now he has spoken to us through a son. And that son is the radiance of the glory of God. And it's through this son that we are sustained. And it's through this son that we are purified and made white as snow and are forgiven of our sins. And they're speaking of Jesus. The the, the Christian teaching is that Jesus is fully human. At the same time, fully divine. And you can't parse them out. That Jesus is not just a man... But he's God. Abraham was a man after after God. Abraham was a, a man of God. Jesus Christ was God who became man. That's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying the same thing that uh, John begins his gospel with, right? That the word was with God. The, the word was God. The word was with God in the beginning. In verse 14 in chapter 1, he says, And the word became flesh and made its dwelling. That Jesus is saying that I am God. Which asks a big question. Why did God have to become man? Why couldn't Jesus just be 100% human? Why was it so important For God, to send his son, why did God have to bring his son? Why did God have to have a God-man? Which then begs the question for me is, maybe the problem of this world cannot be resolved by humanity. Maybe all the brokenness in this world, the brokenness within me, the brokenness within our family, and our churches, and our world, it cannot be resolved just on a human level. That nothing in this world can actually resolve the pain and the heartache of this world. That no, that no, that no philosophy, no self-help uh, uh, theology, nothing of my own doing can actually resolve the pains of this world. That, that in this world... God recognizes that it's broken. It's not what God wants it to be. I'm not what God wants to be. That it needs someone from the outside, someone who is God himself, to come and to resolve, to heal, to recognize. That's so contrary to to where our world is, right? Because our world says that 
I can heal myself. I was with a, a friend this week. We were having lunch, and, and he, was, he was talking about uh, when uh, he was pastoring, he had this, he, he, he sort of read this book and shared it with his church. And he said there's sort of two, two, two forms of church. One, one church, he calls it a rowboat church. I have to say that right? I'm so East Tennessee now. Rowboat. Like a, like a, a rowboat. I'm from Texas. Like, I, I remember when my wife had moved from Florida to Texas, and she came home from a kindergarten, and uh, her mom said, uh, what, what, what did you learn today? And, sh- and she said, I learned ride, Sue, ride. Now I say rowboat. But, uh, yeah, so he said there's these rowboats, churches, Rowboat churches, where basically you, you sort of get in the oar, right? And it's all up to you, right? You're guiding yourself. It's all up to you and, and your strengths. I actually remember I had, a, I had a, uh, one of my youth group girls. Um, she, she won a gold medal rowing in the Olympics. It's an amazing story. And so it's all up to, yeah, it's all up to me, right? All up to my strength. And we just row. And some of you are probably saying, I'm just trying to row through today. And I am tired and I'm exhausted. And as I told my mom, turn off the news. But we're just rowing and rowing and we're trying what we're trying to make it. And he said that, that their churches are called the sailboat churches. I think I said that right. Sail, sailboat church. Where they sort of just put up the sails and let the Holy Spirit just take it. I mean, Jesus is talking to folks who are so ingrained. See, their approval is because they are children of Abraham. They actually, they, they have a right. They say that we have a right to God's favor. That just because we were, we, because we're born and that we're doing everything biblical, because we're doing all these things and we're rowing that then we deserve God's love and approval. And I want to say that is not the gospel. That is not the good news. The good news is that, is that if we keep rowing by ourselves, we're going to get nowhere. That the approval by God is not based upon what I'm doing. If it was so, then Jesus wouldn't have to become divine. He wouldn't have to be God. God wouldn't have to send his son. And what I see here, when Jesus says, before Abraham, I am, he's saying that the, that the issue is much bigger. It's not, can I fix myself? Can I fix my community? It's the problem is brokenness in relationship with God. That's where it all is. It's brokenness. That, 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 it's a, it, it is because I am part of a humanity that's full of flesh, and the flesh is sinful. My, my, my heart even deceives me. My will deceives me. My brain deceives me. That there's really nothing in me that is good, but because of the power of the Holy Spirit, when I come to accept Christ, and it's His righteousness, and it's His grace, and it's His love, and it's His obedience, and because He was the Son of God, then what? Then I can approach God with boldness. And I can wake up every day. And I can live my life not rowing, but I can set my life as a sail. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, He will guide me. I think this theology, this rowboat theology, does get into the church. Well, you got to do some stuff, right? I mean, I've been been going to Bible study. I've I've been giving my money. I've I've been worshiping online. And you know what? 
My life is miserable. I'm miserable. And I think about when Jesus met the man, right, who had all this money. And he comes up to Jesus and says, hey, listen, you know what? I, I, I've been, I, I have all this money. We didn't really say that, but we know he has all this money. And I've been doing all these things, right? I haven't murdered anybody. Well, good. That's a good thing. I'm so happy. You know, I haven't cheated on my wife. I mean, not physically. I might have thought about another one, but I haven't done that. And I haven't really covered that. I mean, I've, I'm not really eyeing my, my neighbor's boat. That's, 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 really, that's really nice. I haven't done that. So what do I need to be, so what, what do I need to do to be good? And what he's saying here is that he's done all these things and he's still lacking something. There's still an emptiness inside. Jesus says, well, go and sell all that stuff. Get rid of it all. And come after me. And the guy doesn't do it. And Luke tells us he walked away sad. Jesus was right there before him, told him, gave him the words of life. But he still felt like he had to do it all by himself. I think what Jesus is saying here is that, is that I am not. I'm not enough. I will never be enough that I'm not righteous. But that he is. He is enough. Because before Abraham, he was. He's always been God. He, he will be God. And I think when I take a rowboat mentality with my life, I nullify the cross. Because when you think about it, why did Jesus have to go to the cross? He could have just died in old life, died in a nursing home. Why did he have to go and die on the cross? Because the problem is between us and God. And there was something that we cannot resolve on our own. And so Jesus, the righteous one, the son of God, who was fully divine, went in our way, our behalf. He was our substitute. He took on all the wrath and, and all the shame and all the hurt and all the pain. And because he did that, what he took it for us. He stood in our place, even though he was not any of those things. He took it for us, and he, and he died for us. And on the third day, he was raised from the dead, and he is alive. And Francis Schaeffer says this. He goes, because Jesus is divine, it opens up all these new doors for us. And one of the doors, I actually believe, is new affections. We all have affections, right? We all have people that we follow, things that we like. We all have things that just get our hearts just full of joy. It could be grandchildren. It could be football, whatever it is. It's our affections. But Jesus, before Abraham was, he says, I am. And he went to the cross and was raised from the dead. And I believe the new door that Schaefer is talking about here is a new affection. That when I love something of this world, it's not as satisfying and fulfilling as loving Jesus and being loved by him. And I believe in our day, I believe right now we just need to love Jesus and be loved by him.
And he deserves all of that because he is the God who became man. He's not just one of many. He is the only one. And to worship him. I was at a conference this past weekend with our, with our movement. And this, and this preacher said this. He goes, he goes we, we come to worship not just to see people or not just to check it off. No, we come to worship because Jesus is worthy of all of our worship. That, 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 that he is the one who should be exalted above everything. And I just wonder, what would it look like if you began the morning or at work, or, and before you get up with the kids, make the coffee, say, you are worthy. I just want to just say, thank you for loving me, and I just want to love you. And I don't understand this world. I don't understand everything. But you know what? I want my affections to be on you. I just want to, just want to love you. They, they, they say that the, that the twin engines of, of a spiritual renewal is repentance and faith. Repentance and faith. And they say this because what happens is I realize that my, my heart gets attached to different things of this world. And boy, do I get attached to college football. Isn't that right, Mackie? I do. I, I'm all wrapped up. And, so I got to, whoa, 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 whoa. But, but, but I get, so I have to step back a little bit. But, but I have to repent. And there's other things that our hearts, is, that, that we got to turn away but then walk in faith that turn toward. And maybe as you, the Holy Spirit speaking to you right now, saying, you know what, maybe there's something that, that is just, you're so obsessed with, but it's, it's not bringing peace. It's not bringing joy to you. It's not bringing life. It's bringing worry and stress. Well, you know what that's called? An idol. And we need to repent. We need to lay that down and then walk in faith to a, a new life. See, the, the, the Jews, their, their affection was all about their heritage and their lineage. They didn't need to be saved. Why? Because they were the chosen ones. And they totally missed Jesus. They needed to repent of that. Jesus was calling them to repent of that and to walk toward him. One, one of the other open doors is that Jesus forgives us. That your sin is fully forgiven. And that when, when, when you and I say yes to Jesus, he's fully forgiven you. You don't have to worry, am I saved? And I wonder if he loves me. Yes, he does. Because why? Because he is the God who became man. And when he went to that cross, what he satisfied, Right? He put to death. He took it down into the depths of hell and he freed us and he gave us life. But, but some of us, we sort of walk around going, I'm not worthy. God would never love me. God hasn't forgiven me. And I think when we do that, when I do that, we are saying that Jesus is not God, man. He's just man. And, and we're not finding power in the cross. We're finding weakness and we're nullifying that. But Paul says there is power in this cross and the power is when we realize we're fully forgiven. And because we are fully forgiven, that, that we have a new status. A new status. That, that, that we're no longer of this world. We're no longer of the flesh. That, that we're no longer children of, of the demon that they're accusing Jesus of. What are we? The Bible says that 
We're now sons and daughters. We're now children of God. We're not just that, that we're heirs and that we have an inheritance that will never spoil nor fade. That men are kings and women are queens. That this is our identity. Is that because of the work of Christ that we're given this new state. And lastly, the open door is Jesus' words. They're good. They're trustworthy. But because Jesus is the God that became man, then I can trust his words. He's not a liar. He's not a lunatic. He's Lord. Uh, I can trust his words. When he says, do not worry because today he got a lot of worries. And that he said that he'll care for me more than the birds. I should believe that. And when I don't believe it, then I'm saying he's this man, he's not God. When, when, when Jesus tells me I'm going to have trouble in this world, but don't worry. Why? Because he's overcome the world. So when I then give in to worry, what am I doing? I'm taking him off the cross and I'm saying he's just a man, he's not God. But one of the gifts he gives us is peace. He gives us peace. He, 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 he says, hey, listen, whatever you want, just ask it in my name and I will give it to you. He says, as the Father has loved me, so I loved you. Now, I don't have to worry about, am I fully loved? He loves you. His words are true. And he talks about this, that if anyone wants to come to me, that they'll be my friends, and we have fellowship with him. Today is the Knoxville Marathon. I guess we're all not running in it, right? I'm not sure that's smart or wise or we're just lazy. I don't know. But when I was 40 years old, way back a couple years ago, no, uh, when I was 40 years old, I uh, found myself signing up for a marathon. Now, if you knew me when I was a kid, I didn't make the basketball team because I couldn't run from one side to the other side. And I always, I loved being an offensive lineman in football because we didn't really have to run. And I come home, I tell my wife, hey, I signed up for the Houston Marathon. <laughs> she laughed. And so we had these trainings. We had these trainings for six months. I go, hey, they're going to train me to be a marathoner. She's like, sure, this would be great. So I did. I actually ran a marathon when I was 40. I don't know why. I just did it. And what's interesting about the marathon in Houston, um, when you get to mile 23, there's a group of people, and they're having a keg party. They got like 50, 50 beer kegs out there, and, they got, and they're all out there, and they have these signs like, don't finish, drink a beer with us. <laughs> and, you know, and I knew it. I just knew, like, I heard they're there. I heard they're going to be there. And I'm running. And I can see the finish line. And they're like, and they are pretty aggressive. Like, come on, you don't need to finish. Come on, just drink a beer with us. And there were people stopped. I'm like, we trained like six months. And you're going to, you can drink a beer like in 15 minutes. I remember like, there, and I I think about that on marathon day, but I, man, I persevered. 
You know, I just kept going. I finished like in 12 hours. I don't know what my score was. But, uh, but think about that life. That here Jesus is very clear. He's saying that I'm the God who became man. And I, I want to offer you joy. And I offer you peace. I've overcome the world. You don't have, you have to stop trying to be perfect. Stop trying to get, stop trying to be in control. Stop trying to figure out where everything is going to go and what's the next shoe is going to drop. Stop trying to, 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 to look good and try to put it all together. You know why? Because I did that. I am. And what I want to give you is peace. What I want to give you is freedom. What I want to give you is love. Let's pray. Lord, we ask right now that C.S. Lewis does say, Lord, that you offer us a, a day at the beach, but many of us just stop. We stop short. The self is very strong. And what we want to do with our life and what we want our lives to be, and, and there's something about surrendering our life to you. We're like, I don't know what's going to happen. And so we actually believe that we make life happen. No, you are the life. You are the way, and you are the truth. And you have come to give us life that is full of abundance. You have come to give us peace and love and joy. And so, Lord, free us from worry. We don't have to worry. Because Jesus was before Abraham. He is I am. He, he is the righteous one. He died on the cross and was raised on the third day. That there is joy and there is life and there is hope and there is freedom. He's overcome this world and his words are right. That he will never leave us nor forsake us. And he's coming back any moment to bring us home. And until then that we are to love you with all of our hearts and love our neighbors as he loves us. And so I'll pray, God, in this moment that you will bring your peace. Maybe today is the day that we recognize that we're holding on to something of this world. And maybe today we, just, we need Jesus. And we can call out to him right now, here in person, online, to say, Jesus, take my life. Maybe there's some of us who have, who have done that, but we've taken more control back. We don't fully trust Jesus to, to, to come through for us. And so, Lord, we relinquish that and ask you to continue to guide and direct us. So whatever you want to happen here in person, online, that I pray your spirit would do that. Thank you for never forsaking us. Thank you for never giving up on us. Thank you for coming and giving us your son who sacrificed his life. And he's the only one to be worshiped and glorified. And when people ask them, how should we pray? He said, here, I'm going to tell you how to pray. And then he gave this prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debts. And lead us not to temptation. Deliver us from the kingdom 
the power, and the glory forever. Amen.